Oh, Matthew chapter 5, we're making good uh, progress. We're moving to the second beatitude, so praise the Lord. <laughs> we're moving right along. Uh, oh, thank you for this tonight. It was wonderful the worship and uh, being with you, and uh, thank you for working with me on this material and uh, the truth and trying to, really trying to come to grips with this in my life. I really want to say exactly what the scriptures say. I'm not interested in making things up. I'm not interested in, well, that's your slant. I'm not interested in, well, my opinion. I'm not interested in preaching off the couch. I'm, I'm really interested in, in what, what is being said. And um, I'm just trusting that the Lord will just reveal and uh, keep us faithful to uh, his word. And here's what he says. These are words are from the lips of Jesus, which is significant. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Reading it again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, I'm constantly struggling with the idea that that is a ludicrous statement. I mean, the whole concept, the whole idea, the very wordage that he's using just, just is a total, absolute turnoff in my mind. And when I'm confronted with this, I, I, I struggle with it because... Again, if Jesus would have said things like, blessed are the rich, I could have bought into that easily. Blessed are those who are joyful, I could have, I could have, I could have bought that. I could have lined up with that and said, yes, bring it on. I want more of that. But when he comes to me and says, blessed are the poor and blessed are the, it's like, Jesus, where are you coming from and what kind of world are you in? And it isn't just that this is contrary to our world out there. I'm discovering that this is contrary to our evangelical world. Because even in our evangelical world, we have adopted this idea that what Jesus really is wanting for us is joy, happiness, peace, and, and, and tickles up and down our spine, and prosperity, and oh, our kids have straight teeth. That's really what he wants to do in our lives. And somehow we've bought into that. And then you come to this and say, what on earth is going on? But I'm wondering, friends, I'm really wondering and trying to come to grips with the idea that do you suppose there's a whole other world out here? Do you suppose that there's a whole other existence that's, that's just as real as the physical world which we are constantly battling day after day after day and in which we seek comfort and in which we seek prosperity and in which we seek everything going our way? Do you suppose there's a whole other world out here that doesn't think like we think? And could you, could you imagine in your mind a whole spiritual dynamic, a whole spiritual world that literally is penetrating our physical world and literally affects it every single day of our lives and that we are so blinded and we are so twisted in our thought process that this spiritual reality, which is, is the way things really are, it is, it is really basic and fundamental and down to it, it's really the way things really operate, has a divine logic that literally comes out of the Creator's mind Himself. And that we have become so twisted in our thought process and so, so, so blinded in our minds that we 
we look at the divine logic and say, what? And wouldn't it be something, oh, that's us, isn't it? Wouldn't it be something if we became a whole group of people, oh, that's who we are, a whole group of people who have literally been filled with Jesus and have been captured by his mind. And that we think like he thinks. And we have his perspective. And that his mind is literally somehow meshed with our mind. And he is literally feeding us the information of his very wisdom and thought process. And we're beginning to pick up the tone of who he is. And if that happened in our lives, oh it is, isn't it? If that happened in our lives, wouldn't it sound just like this? And maybe this wouldn't be so strange to us. The divine logic. I want to move into verse 4 with you. Blessed are those who mourn. And I want to lay out three ideas for you and just try to walk through this a little bit. One is the launch of the morning. What launches it? Where does it come from? What sources it? The grammar is really interesting, and we walked through this a little bit uh, yesterday, but I want to I go back to it. You see, the word idea of blessed is what is called an interjection. It's like, a, wow, doesn't have a subject, doesn't have a verb. It's just, wow, it's just blessed. It has an exclamation point after it. It's just this, this exerting, this, this, this spilling out, this, this pronouncement of, of you are you are it's a congratulations it's a whack on the back it's hey you are so fortunate you're just so blessed hey you got it made don't you you're just whoo you're in man you're in this is phenomenal and he's just whacking you on the back saying wow saying blessed an interjection there is no verb in the phrase that I just read to you. I know we put one in there because in the English translation we just couldn't stand it. We had to have a verb. So we stuck the word are in there. But you really ought to take it and strike it out. So you got this blessed idea, exclamation point, And then you got an article which is the or could be translated those as it is here. Or this one or one. And it's really an article like the boy, the is the is the article. And it doesn't have a verb. It, it's the subject of the whole thing. And when you look at the article, the, which is the subject, obviously, it, you look at it and say, well, the what? What's the content of the? Then he gives you a verb, which is not the main verb now. Don't get confused. It's not the main verb. It's really a participle. It's a verb that's acting as an adjective, and it modifies the, so it gives you the content to the subject. So the whole subject of what he's talking about is the morning the morning one, the morning thee, or those who are mourning. So that's the whole focus of the, of the beatitude. So he's literally saying, wow, blessed, whacking you on the back. And who is he whacking on the back? Obviously, he is congratulating the ones who mourn, the mourning ones. Interesting. When you look at the Greek word that's, that's translated mourning, it goes to the extreme. 
And I've really been struggling with that. He did the same thing in the word purpore. He went to the extreme. In other words, you go through the Greek language, and there's several words for mourning, and there's different levels of mourning. And he, re he reaches in, and he picks out the worst. He picks out the strongest. He picks out the one that's the most severe of all the words. I've been struggling with that this last year. Because it suddenly dawned on me that in every area of life, Jesus went to the wall. Jesus went to the extreme. Jesus went... went he went wild. He, he, went, he went to the far out every single time on anything you want to name. And you look at Jesus and say, why don't you just be moderate? <laughs> you know, why don't you just be normal? Why don't you just, just middle of the road, please? He, and in and, and every single area of life, he just, he went, he went far out. For instance, God leaps off of his throne and becomes man. Well, that's far out in itself. But you had had a little more understanding of that if he'd have become, if he'd have become, if he'd have been born in a in a palace with silk sheets and in a decent home with a fine upbringing. What's this stable thing with the smell of manure and cows around? Isn't that far out? Isn't that off the wall? Isn't that? Wouldn't you say that's extreme? What's this? You know, if he had several nice homes, if he had, if he had a family, if he had... What's this homeless stuff? Did you know Jesus was a homeless man? Watch how you treat the homeless. Did you know Jesus was a homeless man? Foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. What's that? That's off the wall, isn't it? That's not... Come on, be middle class America, would you? See, it's... It's to the extreme. Every, you just go right there. Isn't it interesting? It came from a dysfunctional family. I mean, it isn't a normal kind of a... Do you realize that when he's preaching to the Pharisees, they look at him and say, at least we know who our father is. Do you realize he lived with that all of his life? See, he went to the wall on everything. Then you come to his messages and they seem to be so extreme. This whole business of poor and mourning. And what, couldn't he pick out a, yeah, you ought to weep a little bit. It's good to have. I mean, it helps you to grow. We all understand that. But why do you pick out the worst? Why do you go to, this word is used all through the Old Testament. And it's always connected to death. This mourning word. It's interesting that it literally has the idea of mourning to the extent that it is, it is, it has gripped you. It is, it is, it is something has taken place in your life that has just so gripped you and upset you to the extreme in your living until you just, you can't contain it. It just, you are so emotionally upset. You are so, you, you try to contain yourself, but you can't. And it just, before you get done, you are just, it just escapes you and you are weeping audibly and you are moaning and groaning and oh, you can't help yourself and you don't care who's watching you and you don't care where you are because you are just uncontrollable in this mourning. That's this word. It's extreme. Absolutely extreme. Now, if you reach into verse 4 and this concept, and you pull it out, and here's this second beatitude, and you just look at it, and it says, congratulations to those who are 
are all upset and just their insides they can't they just can't help themselves and they find themselves just audibly groaning and it's just it's it's just being expressed in their physical ex- expressions they just can't help themselves and you look at that and say well what has caused them to do that what takes place in your life that brings you to the place where you're going oh and you just can't control it well he doesn't tell us in the verse so if you reach into verse 4 and just pull it out you can you can make up all kinds of things for that tornado blew my house down oh we lost everything oh i just came from the doctor and he just said i've got six months to live cancer is eating me up oh but wait a minute you'll be comforted it'll be okay because he's promised comfort Oh, my kids are in a mess, and, and I don't know if they're going to make it. And they're just all in, and they're in trouble with the, and they're going to have the, and it's just there. Oh, it's okay. You're going to be comforted. Oh, our finances have just fallen apart, and the bottom has dropped out of everything, and I don't know how we're going to pay our bills, and our electricity is going to be turned off. Oh, it's okay. You'll be comforted. See, you could preach great sermons on that stuff, couldn't you? Because he doesn't give us the content of the morning. What caused the morning? What are the circumstances? What are the problems? What, what are the kinds of things that bring us to this place that are, are included in this verse? And, 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 and he ends up giving this idea that when you're in that state, the thing that's going to happen to you is comfort is going to come to you. So how are you going to guarantee that? How, what, what's the condition of this whole thing? Now, here's what I'm proposing to you. You don't have any right to reach into verse 4, the second beatitude, and pull it out and do anything you want to with it. You've got to leave it where it is. And what I'm proposing to you tonight is that the first beatitude is followed by the second beatitude, obviously, and it's a complement to the first one. And you can't separate the first one from the second one nor the second one from the first one. And the reason we're into the second beatitude, the mourning thing, is because we've come to grips with the poverty thing. And in the context of what he's saying, this thing is building on us in the beatitudes, which is a phenomenal teaching. So in the context of what he's saying to us, you've got to understand the poor thing. And again, let me just review with you. What is the poor? Again, extreme. See, he picks out the worst word you could use for poverty. I mean, it's absolutely destitute. It's totally, absolutely helpless. I mean, you haven't got one single ounce of resource. There isn't a backup plan. There's nothing in reserve. It's all gone, man. And you are absolutely stripped. And that's the word for poor. Again, it's begging poor. It's cringing, covering your face, ashamed, extending your hand. If you don't help me, I won't make it another day. That's the extreme of the, of the poor idea. And because you are absolutely, and, 
notice this is all taking place in the spirit. So this is at the core of your life. This isn't in materialism. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about in your talent. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about, well, you're so poor, you can't do anything. You're, you're so helpless, you can't get anything done. Well, yeah, you work hard every day, so good for you. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about the core of your life, that which produces everything in you. And when it comes down to the resource of the inside spirit of man, we are absolutely stripped down and absolutely helpless and we have no chance of godliness and no chance of being what we ought to be and no chance of intimacy and no chance of ever meriting in the presence of God. We are absolutely stripped down and helpless in everything that matters and in all the things that don't matter we seem to be able to do quite well. But when it comes down to what really matters we... And if you embrace that, if you embrace that, if you embrace that helplessness, if you really comes to grips with that, you know what takes place within you? Oh. Because, see, I have all of these dreams that God has planted in my life. I have this dream of being the godly husband I ought to be. I have this dream of being the, 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 the godly father. I, I have this dream of training my kids right. I have this dream of influencing the community. See, I have, this, I have these urges to be pure. I have these desires and designs. They've been stamped within me in the very image of God. It's all scarred. I understand that. But man, it's still there. And it cries out within me. And when I come to grips with my helplessness, I see I don't have a chance. I do not have a chance of reaching those goals. And I mourn. Now here's an interesting aspect. Well, you're saying then that if I'm going to be the godly person and come to grips with this whole thing, I'm going to have to mourn. No, no, forget about the morning. I don't even know why we're talking about it. Because if you come to grips with the poverty, you will mourn. See, the morning is the byproduct. The morning is, that's just going to happen. The morning is, hey, yeah, you'll get into that. Hey, we don't need to even teach you about that. We're not going to have Saturday salmon on how to mourn. We're not going to do that. Why? Because it's immaterial, man. Because if you come to grips with your helplessness, if you really come to grips with who you are, and you see your failures, and you see your emptiness, and you see you can't, and you, see, and you really admit that. I'm talking not, oh, tongue-in-cheek, yeah, be humble. I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about really seeing yourself as flat on your face, and you can't pull this off. And the heart, as hard as you try, and all your godly works don't quite pull it off. Because you are filthy rags. And when you come to grips with that, you mourn. I had somebody get me aside and uh, say, I want to ask you how you keep from getting the big head. I mean, he was standing there, people came out of the service, said, oh, great message, you know, and saying all the kind things and encouragement that people say to you, and, and we appreciate it. He said, how, do, how, do you, how does that keep from going to your head? How do you keep level-headed on that? I just, what? What are you talking about? Because if you see your helplessness, 
I can't make it to the platform without stumbling. See, if, if, you see, if you see your helplessness, if you see who you really are, if you see... You mourn. You mourn. Now, I want to give you the second thing, which is the location of the mourning, which we've already mentioned, and that is it's in your spirit because it plays off of the, set, the first beatitude. See, there's no question about that. It plays off of the first beatitude. It's in your spirit. It's the core. Now, remember what we're dealing with in this whole, this whole context of what he's talking about is that there is a helplessness. No, you can hit the ball over the fence. Well, good for you. But listen, I'm talking about the core of your existence. I'm talking about the spirit that's within you. I'm talking about the principle of life that causes your attitude and causes you to love and causes you to... Be who you are, and it exp gives expression to the very essence of your personality. Now, I don't know what you want to call that. You can call it your soul, fine. You can call it your spirit, fine. It's, it, personality has to do with it. They tell us that personality is made up of three things, mind, will, and emotion. And obviously, if the mind and the will have come to grips, have come to grips with the overwhelming poverty and that you are really stripped down and poverty-stricken and you are just absolutely helpless, do you know what's going to happen? Your emotions are going to respond to that, which brings forth with the, oh, mourning. You see all kinds of examples of this stomping through the New Testament. And through the Old Testament, Isaiah comes into the presence of God and he sees himself. And you know what he begins to do? Oh, I am, un I am undone. I live among a people who are undone. Woe is me. What, what do you think that is? <laughs> That's mourning. I've discovered that I, you probably won't identify with this at all, but I've discovered I live in a state of deception. And it isn't Tennessee where I'm from. I'm talking about my own life. I got this little dog. He's about four pounds. About that size. And uh, I put him on this leash and I take him for a walk. And the park. The poor little guy, he's, he just, he lives in a state of deception. He probably got it from me, but he lives in a state of deception. You know, we'll be walking along, and here will come a German shepherd, 150 pounds, and this guy will take after him. Because he thinks, you know how I visualize myself? Six foot five. Broad shoulders, 225 pounds, 225 pounds. Handsome, 35. This is why I never look in the mirror. Just, see, I live in a state of... Now, that's an extreme. I understand. And you say that's not really true, is it, Manly? Well, I suppose not. But there are areas in my life 
and to come to grips, to look head on And this isn't an academic exercise. Well, okay, I'll think it through and come to grips. This isn't, I'll calculate it out. This is, oh, don't you understand? The divine Holy Spirit literally begins to work in our lives. And he comes to us and he begins to reveal. And we are to respond. And you know what the responding is? Oh, which turns him loose, folks, to come and invade our lives in our weakness. So you see, the mourning is literally the response that he's looking for that somehow brings us to the availability that, that turns him loose to literally invade us and fill us and literally... And do you understand that the word mourning here, I didn't tell you that, but the word mourning here is in the present tense, which means it's now with continual action. So you live in this state. So it isn't, yeah, I mourned one time. At this. We used to call the altar, you know, the mourning bench. Which may have been misleading, I don't know, but it, it wasn't a bad thing, obviously. But it may have been that we thought we came to an altar and mourned and then got that over with and now we're done with that. He says, no, you don't understand. You come to grips with your helplessness and you live in that helplessness. And as you see and embrace that helplessness, what happens to you, you begin to mourn. You begin to embrace. You begin to respond to the reality of who you are in your helplessness. And you live in that all the time. And as you live in that all the time, that turns him loose to constantly be the resource of your life. Oh. And the moment, the moment, the moment I step out of that into self-sourcing, the moment I take over, the moment I begin to exert myself, the moment I begin to live in the state of denial, the moment I begin to deceive myself like I, whoo, I'm back on my face, man. I'm out. I'm I'm an evangelist. And I want you to come to the altar. But more than you coming to the altar, what I want is for you in your mind, in your will, and in your emotions to come to grips. Oh, I want to do this in my life. Jesus, 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 do it in my life. I want to come to grips with my helplessness and, and embrace that moment by moment by moment that literally there would be this mourning that would take place in my life that would just be the response that would, could turn him loose to fill me with himself. And can you imagine a helpless person filled with the overwhelming resource of God? What would you call that? They're the kingdom. So again, the kingdom is not a location that you go to. Heaven is, but not the kingdom. The kingdom is relational. The kingdom is relational. And suddenly the kingdom begins to move in the community. And he begins to express it. Do you realize that's exactly what Jesus was? That he emptied himself of all that he had and became helpless. That the Father might actually fill him. And he became the first one to be the kingdom. And what you're seeing in the life of Jesus is what a man looks like when he embraces his helplessness and mourns 
in a constant response to the resource of God. Come on, this is not a finger in your face. This is not a bawling out. This is a, come on people, do you know what we got a hold of here? Do you realize the potential, the possibility for your life? That you can be what you ought to be. Listen, we can take this community. We can live like we ought to live. We can be the dads. We can be the moms. We can, hey, hey, it can happen in our lives. Because he's here. And in the morning, he embraces us. Jesus Enough denial. Enough cover up. I'm done with the hiding. I'm done with the excuse. I'm done with the justification. I'm tired of saying they made me do it. I'm tired of saying I was okay until I moved here. I'm tired of saying what's my job. I'm tired of saying, well, I had a bad day. I'm tired of saying, well, things didn't go. I'm, t- I'm, tired. I'm tired of blaming my circumstances. I'm tired of... I want to embrace my helplessness tonight. Not for a moment... But for every moment. And respond in mourning. Which is the response that turns you loose in my life. Oh Jesus. Save me. From myself. And every fit of rage and anger that spills out of me and the loss of my temper and I can't control my body drives and all the stuff that gives evidence, God, that I'm... helpless and living out of myself. My worry, my stress level, all telling me I'm not adequate. Helpless. That I was built to live intimate, filled with you. In the name of Jesus, would you fall upon us? In the name of Jesus, would you woo us to yourself as never before? In the name of Jesus, would you go past all of our camouflage and all of our righteousness and all of our church going and all of our Bible reading and all of our activities and would you, would you come to the depth of our lives that in intimacy with you we would be the kingdom as you were Heads are bowed.
I'm going to kneel again tonight. Oh, you say it's just a pattern. You do it every time. Yeah, I guess I do. But I need Oh Morning How long has it been man Since you got on your knees And just Cried out the hunger of your soul the need of your life overwhelmed you if you say it's been a long time Maybe you need to take another look at your helplessness. Get a fresh view. And see anew your desperate need for Him. Could you with me crawl into a new, deep, intimate oneness with his person? Ah, the kingdom, the kingdom. Seek him with me, will you?